Welcome to the Daily Authors Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Gendel, and on today's fantastic episode, I'm speaking with the talented Dave Mokul, author of Good Life Practice, A Quick Start Guide to Mindful Self-Regulation. The sole purpose of Dave's writing is to do what he can to increase human well-being and to help people discover what they're capable of. Furthermore, he believes that kindness is built on the foundation of awareness and acceptance of how things are in this moment. Now, he found that the more he practiced awareness and acceptance of life's discomforts, the more space he found for choice and compassion. After decades of poring over scientific research, studying lasting wisdom, engaging in personal practice, and working with teachers and clients, Dave has summarized what he's learned in his writing. So if you're ready for a quick start guide to mindful self-regulation, then stay tuned for this episode of the Daily Authors Podcast with Dave Mokul. Hey, by the way, if you're ready to write your book today, you can head on over to writeabookuniversity.com forward slash free and get a free four-lesson video course that'll help you on your journey to writing your book. Welcome to the Daily Authors Podcast, a daily podcast all about books and the authors who gave them life. Each episode, your host interviews a new brilliant author as they reveal inside information about their incredible books and inspiring lives. Now, here's your host, Aaron Gendel. Well, thanks again, Dave, for joining me on the Daily Authors Podcast. We're here to talk about your book, Good Life Practice, A Quick Start Guide to Mindful Self-Regulation. Hey, thanks again for jumping on the show. You bet. Glad to be here. Before we talk about your book, Dave, if you would mind just telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and your work and what you're up to right now. Sure. So uh, that's a that's a great question. So I was... Uh, a classroom teacher for neuroscience and human development for about 25 years and also was working at a boarding school, working with uh, students in the dorm, athletes on the field, a variety of different things, and realized that what I really wanted to be doing was helping people uh, thrive and uh, in whatever setting possible. So now I work as a, a coach and a speaker and a trainer and consultant, and I work with, you know, executives and athletes and parents and students and teachers, uh, actors, all, all kinds of people from all different walks of life. And really the goal is to help them respond peacefully and purposefully to whatever shows up in their life, because lots of things just show up and are outside our control. And to also help them cultivate the kinds of positive internal resources they need so that they can have the life that they really want. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, let's dive a little bit into your book, Good Life Practice. I'm sure your work relates to some of this. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about Good Life Practice and what inspired you to write it. Sure. Well, really, it began with my own debilitating anxiety when I was in my mid-20s. And I tried just about everything I could to avoid it, to escape it, to suppress it. And uh, anyone who's had anxiety knows that those things aren't long-term strategies. They don't work very well. And, and in fact, it was creating a lot of challenge with my own health. It was creating a lot of challenge in my relationships. My coping strategies just weren't effective. So at some point in that process, I, you know, I surrendered. I gave up on trying to make my anxiety be something else and started looking into what would it be like to work with my anxiety peacefully, to accept that this is what my nervous system does. So I started studying the brain and a lot of enduring wisdom 
from all kinds of different traditions and realized that really the choice that we have in life is how we work with whatever shows up. And in the case of anxiety or stress or anger or fear or frustration, I really believe that the first step, and this is what I write about in my book, the first step is really to be aware of it. How does it show up? Where does it show up in your body? What are the thoughts that are attached to it? And then to move into acceptance. This is just what I'm working with in this moment. And then to move forward toward, uh, so what's really important to you? And where do you want to put your attention and energy? Do you want to spend all your time trying not to have an experience? Or do you really want to focus on the experience that you're trying to have? Okay, that's great. Well, maybe you could dive a little deeper into one of the sections of your book, something that stands out that would be very helpful to the listener or something practical they could really take away from it. Sure. Uh, So one thing I think it's really important to understand is that human beings have this very unique capability. As far as we know, it's absolutely rare in the animal kingdom that we can do things that we don't feel like doing. Or we can refrain from doing things that we do feel like doing. And that may not seem like a big deal. And that may seem obvious that you can choose not to have a donut when you feel like having a donut. Or you can choose to go for a run when you don't feel like going for a run. That may seem obvious. It may not seem like a big deal. But it's actually a really incredible ability. And so when we talk about self-regulation, which is what I spend a fair amount of time talking about in this book, It's that ability to notice the urges and impulses that show up, to cross-reference those against what's important to you, what are the commitments and relationships and values and goals that you have, and then to accept whatever, you know, maybe it's um, an urge to procrastinate, or maybe it's a craving for something, or maybe it's actually a feeling of not being motivated at all, to notice that and then get started on the thing that's important to you. So that's really what mindful self-regulation is. You notice what's present, you're aware of it, and then you make your choice of action based on your values, your goals, your commitments, rather than on whether you feel like it. Because, yeah, yeah, the reality is, we often don't feel like doing stuff that's important. Yeah, definitely, I can relate to that. What would you say is, some advice you could give someone in to have that mindset or to actually follow through with the things that they know that they want in their life and trying to resist those things that they know won't get them there. Yeah. So the first step is what I would say is the mindfulness piece of sitting quietly for five to 10 minutes every day and just noticing, just noticing that impulse and urges, they arise, right? You're just sitting there and One of the myths of mindfulness is that the goal is to feel good, that the goal of of sitting quietly is to be happy, when in fact, the goal of mindfulness is to see things as they are and be with them as they are. And so that can include sitting with anxiety, sitting with stress, sitting with hunger, whatever it is, just noticing it. That's really the foundation. And over time, what you realize is that discomfort is just normal. It's just a normal part of being human. It isn't necessarily an indication that anything's wrong. So when you can sit quietly, when you can notice that discomfort comes and goes, then you can start to anchor yourself in the things that are really important to you, the changes that you'd like to make, the things that you're grateful for, the relationships that you want to prioritize. 
And so, you know, the really important part of the book is acknowledging that what shows up in life is outside your control. That means other people's behavior. That means the weather. That means your mood at any given moment. That stuff just shows up. It's a complicated universe. You've got a complicated nervous system. And the choice that you're left with is, well, what will I do with that? What Will I indulge it? Will I resist it? Will I simply steer my attention to what matters? So I would say that one of the biggest things that the feedback that I get from my book is that people begin to normalize discomfort. They start realizing they don't have to buy their way out, drink their way out, shop their you know, they don't have to avoid discomfort. They can accept it as part of the experience. Wow. I love that. Never heard it said that way. That's great. <laughs> well, who's influenced you, Dave, to be in this moment where you are now? I know you've talked about your experience and having nervous breakdowns. Anybody else that's been really influential to you in your life? Yeah. And the only thing I want to say is I wouldn't necessarily call it a nervous breakdown. I'd call it a nervous breakthrough. breakthrough. Um, okay. it, was, it was really important for me to get to a point where nothing was working and really have to just give up, you know, and in lots of different, you know, in 12 steps, they call this surrender, but just that moment of just like, okay, so all my attempts to avoid aren't working. Yeah. And then it's that honest and kind self-evaluation of, well, this isn't working and this isn't working. So what do I want to do about that? So I would say, gosh, the list of teachers is very long. <laughs> uh, I would say, first and foremost, uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who started the first mindfulness-based stress reduction clinic. He was my first meditation teacher, incredibly powerful experience. Uh, Sherry Huber, who is a Zen Buddhist teacher in Northern California, really remarkable what I've learned from her. There's a whole series of neuroscience researchers, uh, Richie Davidson at University of Wisconsin. Yeah, just a whole variety of both contemplatives, people who have sat with their experience and learned from that, yeah. and scientists, people who have studied the human condition from different lenses and often with very expensive equipment. <laughs> wow. Very powerful uh, experiences, it sounds like. What about a failure, Dave, in your life? Anything stand <laughs> out as to, you know, in my life, I learned from those a lot. I think a lot of us do. And is there anything you'd like to share in the event um, that maybe you've learned from and what we might be able to learn from that today? Yeah, gosh, uh, the list is long. You know, when I think about failure, I really think about not getting the result that we wanted. You know, we had a plan and we, gosh, you know, a lot of the first thing that jumps to mind is a lot of failed relationships. And the main reason being that. I thought that the way that you would get love in your life, the way that you would, that I would feel like I was enough, that I was worthy, is if other people told me so. So I spent a lot of time in my teens and 20s telling people what I thought they wanted to hear so that they would tell me what I wanted to hear. It was, it was a really manipulative approach. I, I think a very common approach, but it was a manipulative approach. And one of the things I learned in my research and in, in thinking about this book is that that's not how you get love. You know, the way that you get love is by being loving. And this has been taught for thousands of years. This isn't my idea. This comes forth in the golden rule and all kinds of things. But the shortcut in life is if you want gratitude, then be grateful. If you want 
love, then be loving. And if you want acceptance, be accepting. And I, unfortunately, before I learned that, I spent a lot of time in relationships trying to get something for me. And I hurt a lot of people. And uh, a lot of people talk about having no regrets. Well, I, I think you can learn a lot from regret. I think shame is really different. You know, regret is if I had that to do over, I would do it differently. Right. Shame is there's something wrong with me. And I would say when I think about failures in my life, I really look back on the relationships where I wasn't honest, kind, and supportive. I would, in a heartbeat, go back and with the opportunity to do that differently. And thank you for sharing that, Dave. What about a favorite quote? Anything stand out? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have two quotes that jump to mind immediately. The first is from Bruce Lee, and he says, Under duress, we do not rise to our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. And I just love that idea that every day we're practicing. We're practicing something. Our brain is cataloging what we do and getting better at it. And the practice that we put in every day, that's where we'll go when life gets hard. We're not going to come up with some magical skill set out of the blue. Yeah. We'll, we'll go back to the skill set we've been practicing. So that's one thing. The other thing I'd say, Mahatma Gandhi has a great quote that says, actions express priorities. That notion that you can tell me what's important to you, but what I'm really interested in is where you put your energy. Yeah, so true. Love it. Yeah. Let's talk into the, about the book writing process, Dave. Mm. I'd like to share some tips <laughs> and tricks to our listeners, you know, something they may be able to take away if they are interested in writing a book, anything stand out that you wish you'd have known before you started writing that you know now? Yeah. You know, the first thing I'd say is, and, and I'll quote um, Stephen Pressman who wrote the war of art. And he said the day that he became a professional writer wasn't when he sold his first piece. The day he became a professional writer is when he took his typewriter down and began writing when he didn't feel like it. And I think that if of the writers I've spoken to, many of them will talk about how important it is to them to write and how often they don't feel like doing it. And so for me, the, the huge change was when I looked ahead at my calendar and I put in and committed to big chunks of time every day to write. And so that was a movement away from I will write when I feel like it or when the mood strikes or when I'm feeling particularly creative and to simply looking at my calendar, 9am, it's time to write. And I sit down and I open my computer, you know, and I can feel all the overwhelm. Anyone who's worked on a book, you know, when you open that document and there's an entire book <laughs> to be created, it can feel really overwhelming. And the key is to just begin somewhere and start typing. That for me was huge to just literally sit at my computer and write. And then the second piece was to be willing to write badly, to just be willing to put garbage on the page and trust that when I go back to it, there'll be something of value there. Because I, I was capable of just paralyzing myself with trying to craft the perfect sentence. <laughs> yeah. And when we do that, we rarely get past the first sentence. Yeah, so true. Best to avoid perfectionism there. <laughs> yeah, and just, or just to notice that, of course, I want every single sentence that rolls off my fingers to be beautiful, and that's just not going to be how it's going to be. Yeah, 
Yeah. I think Annie Lamott talks about this and she says that little turn of phrase that you love, you might as well kill it now because you're going to torture yourself trying to get everything else to fit around that. (laughs) Yeah, so true. What other resources might have helped you? Any um, software or people, anything that really kind of put like the calendar helped you then yeah calendar was great you know and and i think here's the other thing is (laughs) and this is a great part of my own practice is giving my writing to others and really accepting the feedback that they gave me doesn't mean i have to use all of the feedback they give me but really i had friends and really good proofreaders and editors who looked carefully at what I had written and they would offer me things like, I don't understand this. And, you know, or I need, I think I need more to understand this. And at first that was so hard because this is my baby. And there's no question. I think having the courage to put your writing in front of other people and listen to honest feedback. I don't know if there's anything better for a writer. Mm. So, you know, find someone you trust. And by trust, I mean someone who you trust to give you real feedback, not just to say good things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough to put yourself in those shoes, but I definitely agree to put, be able yeah. to get that feedback is going to help you at the end. Yeah. And if you're looking, you know, Aaron, my experience is if what I'm looking for is someone just to tell me how great it is, like that's actually not useful feedback for me. Right. Yeah. And just recently I was speaking from an audience and my wife said, did you get any good feedback? And I said, yeah, I got a lot of, you know, great feedback. People told me they really enjoyed it. And she says, no, no, I meant useful feedback. (laughs) And we can confuse praise with useful feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if we are looking to, yeah, if we're getting, looking to get our best work out there, it makes complete sense. Yeah. What about writer's block? Did you experience that while writing your book? And what did you do to help overcome that? So, Yeah, it's a good question. I wouldn't say, I mean, my understanding of writer's block is just sort of not knowing what to write or, you know, just really feeling. And I wouldn't say that I ever felt, like if I got to the point where the computer was open and the document was open, I was in pretty good shape. Okay. The, for me, it was much more around being in my head and constructing it in my head and sort of avoiding opening the computer and committing it to paper. So one of the challenges for me is I have ideas swirling constantly, (laughs) just going, you know, oh, here's a better way to say that, or here's, you know, a better chapter heading, or that's always going on. I would say, if anything, my experience is that I have too much and the challenge is organizing it and staying on task. So for me, it was mu- the issue was much more procrastination by just spinning in my head. Got it. Yeah. yeah. What about the best part about writing a book for you, Dave? Now that you've got your book out there, and congrats again on it. Uh, what would you say is the best part about it? Well, for me, you know, my goal was always, and, and because of the type of work that I do and type of writing I do, my goal was for it to be helpful, for it to be accessible for it to be applicable to people. So for me, the notion really operating for me from writing a book as an act of service, that the reason I'm doing this is I I really hope that it will help someone. And that was really 
both during the process, really thinking about, oh, this might be helpful to someone. That was a great part of the experience. And then the feedback when people come back to me and say, hey, I got your book. It was really helpful. I really loved it. You know, I, I keep it in my purse. It's all dog-eared. That's what's, I'm not as interested in it being a bestseller as I'm interested in it being helpful. You know, I, I, I just finished reading a book, a work of fiction, and there was one phrase in it that was really helpful to me. It just really made a lot of sense and turned an issue I'd been struggling with. It made me look at it a different way. So I don't care whether it's self-help or nonfiction or fiction. Yeah. I think that I believe that writing is an act of service. It can help people look at things differently. And that's what was motivating for me. Well, that's great. I'm sure it's doing just that. Uh, we'll wrap it up, Dave. A couple more questions. Uh, yeah, please. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I didn't? It's mm, a great question. You know, I guess the process that I went through with my book, you know, I, I guess that, you know, there's, there's also just nuts and bolts of getting your book out there. And I spent a lot of time agonizing over whether to self-publish, whether to go the route of finding an agent and an editor and a publisher. You know, as you're well aware, I think that landscape is changing really rapidly. Yep. And I think that, I don't think there's a clear answer anymore about which, which is better, which is more useful, which is more accessible. I would say that there are, uh, there are financial arguments on each side. You know, self-publishing, there's a financial reason to do that in terms of keeping a greater percentage of each sale of a book. On the other hand, there's a lot of opportunity for marketing that comes from working with a publisher. So that was something that I think, I think you'll, I found a lot of opinions on both sides. Yeah. And at the end of the day, in this case, made the choice to self-publish, which actually set me up to find a publisher for my next book. So I, I think it's, I don't think that's very black and white. And I think it's worth talking to a lot of people and then ultimately going with your gut. Yeah. So you'll, you'll get to experience both sides of that now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for, for sharing those, those bits of advice. I really appreciate that. Uh, Dave, and yeah, it's been awesome talking to you. <laughs> You're obviously doing some great things for others and helping them um, with their, uh, just the mindfulness they have. So definitely a book that I want to pick up. So if uh, the listeners could find you online, where would that be? And uh, maybe you talked a bit about your book, another book coming up. Maybe you can just talk about what you're up to next. Yeah. So let's see. So if, if people want to check out my website, they can go to appliedattention.com, all one word. The book is available, uh, the you know, Good Life Practice is available on Amazon. And the next book I'm working on, uh, the working title is The Heart of Well-Being, Compassionate Confidence as an Antidote to Anxiety, Stress, and Overwhelm. And really looking at self-compassion, our ability to be kind to ourselves, and to acknowledge that the, you know, we've got a, a pretty heavy critical voice in our head, most of us, and to acknowledge that that's not the wisest voice in our head. And then the confidence piece is just really understanding that you've always been up to dealing with whatever showed up in life. Always. You know, I mean, raise your hand if you haven't survived what has shown up in life. And so 
the, so really looking at, so how do we practice that? How do we practice compassionate confidence right in the face of stress and anxiety and overwhelm and insecurity and doubt? That's, that's great. I look forward to seeing it come out, Dave, and we'll have to touch base again when it does. Great. I would love that. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you, Dave. Great. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thanks for the work you do. Thanks for listening to the Daily Authors Podcast. Be sure to visit dailyauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. 